This morning we're starting into a new teaching series here at Covenant. It's going to take us uh, several weeks as we move our way through it. And what's going to bind this series together is we're not staying in one passage of Scripture. We're not uh, even going to stay with uh, one particular theme. The only thing that's going to bind this together is that we are going to be asking a series of questions each and every Sunday. Questions that we hope will cause us to think cause us to explore. Questions when it comes to faith is really good. It's a really good thing for us to wonder about things and to, because that's how we grow. That's how we discover things. That's how we learn is in questions. And so we're going to be asking a question each and every Sunday and investigating what does the scripture say about it and what does this mean for our lives? Uh, um, And I think that's going to be really good. And I think it's going to be good that I know that some small groups and Bible studies and things uh, both are going to follow along. Some are getting started going to follow along with this. And it's really good that we not just wrestle with these questions by ourselves, but we also do so in community. And there's a unique opportunity to to do that here at Covenant, uh, because we have here at Covenant people coming from a lot of different uh, perspectives when it comes to these questions. And I'm increasingly becoming convinced how important that is. I think that there's a timeliness to this series. And we come up with series months and months in advance of, uh, when we've known we've been, we're doing this for like eight months. But I think that the Lord had a reason for that to happen starting now, because like many of you, I've been watching the events uh, that have been taking place in the news this week, uh, events that are taking place in our country this week. And it's been an important week uh, this last week. It's important questions that are being asked, it's important issues, and it's important discussions that, uh, that need to take place. And this coming week is a really important week. And, and I hope that no matter who you are or how you approach this stuff, that you, I know I have been, have been praying uh, as I've watched events this week and we'll be, be praying for our nation as we go forward this week and whatever that's meant to look at. But um, beyond just the headlines, part of why I think this is a timely moment for us to move into this series is I have become increasingly discouraged by our inability in this country to have hard conversations. Um, I've become increasingly discouraged by uh, our inability to listen to each other and to hear and to wonder um, and that let other perspectives help us to grow in what our questions should be. Sociologists tell us that one of the things happening in our culture right now is we're becoming what one person says is more tribal than before. That with the onslaught of information and so many perspectives in 24-hour news that we're not like opening ourselves up to new worlds and that, but actually our response is that we're like shutting down and we're actually moving towards our tribes. And so that's happening and you see that happen. And, and I, am unbelie- I am absolutely convinced that both liberals and conservatives do this just as much as each other. It's not a one side or the other. But what we do is we run to our tribes and then we have these sort of, what, again, what another sociologist says are echo chambers of our own self-righteousness which is an amazing statement and incredibly convicting all at the same time, that we run, look for echo chambers of our own self-righteousness, where we surround ourselves with people who vote like us and think like us and approach issues like us and get news from the same source we do, and then we look at each other and we're like, we're just so right, aren't we so right? And everyone in our little group and our tribe looks at us and goes, we are so right, and everybody should think the same way as us, and anyone that doesn't just like doesn't understand what's going on. Meanwhile, at the exact same moment, the tribe on the other side is doing the exact same thing, 
from their news sources and everything else are all going, aren't we just so right? And they surround themselves with people who just pat each other on the back going, We're, you're just so right. Everything that you're scared of, the world should be scared of. And everything that gives you comfort should give the world comfort. And, and then anyone that doesn't listen or agree or think like us, we lob hand grenades at them and then we just don't listen. And we don't pay attention anymore. And among the many tragedies that happen, the more and more and more we are becoming that is that we are guaranteed to lose the possibility of growth. Because I have news for you. Jesus doesn't exist in a camp. That's what makes following Jesus so hard is all of us, when we really encounter and pay attention to Jesus, are going to feel excited and affirmed in certain things, and we're going to feel challenged in things as well. And that's like the whole point. And the church has an opportunity in this divisive time, in this polarized time of like-mindedness on all sides, to represent something different. Because the reason that you and I are here, the reason that we have church is that we say that we are broken people in need of a savior. And that we don't have the formula for how everything is supposed to work on our own and how everything in life is supposed to work. That we are looking for a kingdom that is bigger than us to come into being. And therefore, as the Apostle Paul writes, you and I see in a mirror dimly. And what that means is, is that for every one of us, no matter how certain you are about issues, that we have to hold an attention as people. And that tension is, on the one hand, we are meant to have convictions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have convictions and that you shouldn't stick up for those convictions. We should. But on the other side is this tension of going, but on some of my convictions, God's going to look at me someday and go, you're wrong. My ways are not your ways. You're like, no, 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 no. I had some questions about this. But this one right here, I'm really certain about. And the Lord's going, huh, that's interesting. (laughs) Being a Christian inherently means that we're supposed to be open to that. Like, it's the whole nature of our faith is to be open to that. And yet we create systems. And God's in that system and can't come out. Scripturally, anytime that happens, it's really dangerous and people are way off base. And so I am, I think it is timely that in this moment in time that we in a church, like, because see, churches are doing exactly what society is doing. We have liberal churches, we have conservative churches. And those churches do is they get together and they're convinced of their own righteousness. And they get together and the liberal churches are going, we're just so right on this and everybody should agree with this and this is how God works. And they're all going, yes, we are. And they walk in the door thinking that and the pastor preaches and tells them they're already right. And then they leave and they're like, we were just so right. And the conservative church is doing the exact same thing. I've said this before. One of my favorite quotes when it comes to the nature of church came from Bruce Larson, the pastor of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle several decades ago, who said that every single follower of Jesus has to make a very fundamental decision about the kind of church they want to be a part of. Do you want to be a part of a church where you're told you're right? Or do you want to be a part of a church where you can grow? Because the two of those are mutually exclusive. Do you want to be a part of a church where you're told you're right? Everything you thought before you walked in, you're right. Or do you want to be a part of a church where you can grow? Because the two of those are mutually exclusive. Bruce Larson looked at his congregation when he said that, and he said, I want you to know I love being told I'm right. I love it. 
And now I'm not talking as Bruce Larson. I, as Tom, I love it. I love to be told I'm right, and I think I am. Almost always. And John Wasson always thinks I'm right on everything. But then Bruce Larson looked at his congregation and said, but as a Christian, and as a father, and as a husband, and as a friend, and as a son, and as a brother, what I know is that I need to grow. This is an opportunity in the full diversity of our church that includes many different perspectives to grow as a result of these questions and to investigate and do so together. And I think it's timely for us to engage through our Christology that can hold us together because Jesus is big enough to lead us all so that at the end of this series, we're not the same as we are today. That the point of this is to grow so that at the end of this we can say, God expanded my worldview a little bit more of how big his kingdom really is based on those questions, okay? That's gonna be the hope that, that binds us together in this and we need it right now, I need it right now. The questions are gonna come in two forms. Uh, the first is this, and this is going to be uh, what will be more common. Uh, the, some of these questions will come uh, as a result of people in the scriptures asking questions of God. That's going to be what most of the weeks are going to be like. So, for instance, next week is going to be people going through a really hard time who are angrily saying to God, if you're so good, how can this happen? How can you let this happen if you're so good? It's a really important question that all of us, if we're honest, are going to ask from time to time in our life and maybe spend a lot of our life asking. And so we're going to ask that question. That's one form. People asking, God's people asking questions to God and then probing and looking for answers like we'll do. The second form is what we're going to start with today, and that is God asking questions of us. And maybe in us seeking out how do we answer God, that that's going to allow us to explore and ask new questions and seek an answer. Okay? So the first question we're going to look at actually comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and it's the first question in the Bible that takes place between God and his people, okay? And it's God asking questions to his people, and it's the question that we're going to ask today, starting Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. This is just after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told them not to eat at because they wanted to be like God, so they eat of it, and this is what happens just afterwards. They, Adam and Eve... They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that you would lead us and guide us in these questions and that we would believe what the scripture says is true, that if we seek, we will find. We pray for this to take place in each of our hearts today and minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question that exists in the Bible between the creator and the creation is this. Where are you? And so the natural inference in that is to ask today for each of us, where are you? Where are you today? Now you might be sitting there going, I'm right here. It's kind of where I am. I am who I am. I believe, I mean, I can see that Adam and Eve are hiding because they've done something wrong. I'm just like living my life. I'm right here doing this. And, uh, and I hope that that's not where you are today or not where you're going to stay. 
Because some of us, when we hear that question and say, where are you? We can go to where Adam and Eve are here, and we can know the parts of ourselves that we feel shameful about or we feel disappointed about, the parts of our lives where we think we've messed up, and we keep those hidden, and then we promote the parts of ourselves that we love, right? We put, you, you put on the bumper sticker of your car, my child's an honor roll student. Nobody's ever put a bumper sticker going, my child's in the bottom 5% of the class, right? We hide all the time. We promote certain things about ourselves and our children and our grandchildren that we like, and we, and we keep hidden the parts of us where we feel like we've messed up or where we are shameful or where we are disappointed. And so my hope is when you hear that question of God saying, where are you? There's a part of us, of each of us, that can begin to engage that because it's not that some of us are hiding and some of us aren't. Is that if we struggle to see how it is we're hiding, it's not that we're not hiding, it's just that we've gotten so used to it we don't see it as hiding anymore. It's just what life is. But God is inviting us to emerge. We talked in staff meeting this week about this passage, and we said, so like, let's like, just think of some examples for ourselves or in our culture today of where do people hide? What does hiding look like in our world today? That God might be asking us, where you come from? We had some great responses. There were people who talked about busyness. And it's like, you know, we can hide behind being busy. Because as long as we're busy, we feel productive. As long as we're busy, we feel like, well, I'm accomplishing stuff, and I wake up every day, and I've got a to-do list, and I've got errands to run, and I've got things to accomplish. And as long as I'm crossing stuff off the list, then I don't have to sit in the harder questions of life that make me uncomfortable. And so I just don't have to look at those because I can stay busy doing stuff. Similarly, a different way of looking at that is that we can hide based on technology. One of the greatest ways to hide are our phones and our iPads and the apps that are on them. It's an amazing way of hiding because you can just avoid all of the hard moments of life where you might be quiet and those moments of sadness or loneliness and stuff come overwhelming because you can just go on YouTube and watch cat videos for 30 minutes, right? And it's like, I don't have anything to do, so I'm going to go watch this and I can just lose 45 minutes uh, rather than sit with the fact of like, there's no text messages for me, there's no phone calls, there's no emails, I don't have anything to do that makes me feel like lonely and that I'm not certain what I'm accomplishing with my life and I thought I would be doing so much more and everyone else talks about how busy they are and I'm not certain that I am. So if I do this, I don't have to sit in that moment of feeling like my worth is in question. Now, at the end of watching cat videos or watching Michael Jordan in a slam dunk contest from 30 years ago, which some of us might do on YouTube for a while, I'm not saying who, but that could be an option of how you could lose your time. Do you feel better after doing it? Absolutely not. But you didn't have to sit with the harder stuff. It distracts us. It's hiding. Some of us hide our faith all the time. Some of us have become experts at talking one way in our D groups or our small groups and then realizing that the real world works in a different kind of way. And so when we leave this place, it's a whole different set of operating and values and language that we use. That's hiding. Some of us know that we need to make sure certain to find regular times where we delete our web browser of what we've been looking at online. We hide. And God's saying to each of us today, where are you? And inherent in that question is, do you want to emerge? Are you happy with this way of being? Are you happy with this idea of kind of promotion of certain things and hiding the things that are disappointment? Is this the way you want to live or do you want something else? This is inherent in the question God's asking Adam and Eve here, right? Like, we have to understand the nature of how this question's asked, because in a way, it's kind of a weird question, isn't it? Like, God's going, where are you? 
as Jill said in one of our earlier services, she was like, it seems like the better question for God is, how could you have done this? How did you do this? How did you mess up so bad? We're, we're just finishing chapter two. And you guys have already messed everything up. How did you do this? There's like 3,000 chapters left to go and you've messed it up already. But the first question that God asks is not, how did you do this? It's not shame-based. It's where are you? And there's an invitation from it. We have to understand the invitations God giving us to emerge and to be honest. Right? Like God's not, God created the garden. God's not sitting there walking in the garden, where are Adam and Eve? Like, God's not like panicked, running around going, someone call 911, we've lost Adam and Eve. We don't know where they are. Like God created the, the, the heavens and the earth. He knows where they are. But what this question is more of an invitation, okay? It's kind of like um, if you're a parent, if you've been a parent of like really young children, it's like when you play or if you're uh, aunt or uncle or you've babysat or anything else, if you play games like a game of hide and go seek with really young kids, it's one of the funniest experiences you've ever had, right? Because re- I'm talking like really young children, their version of hiding is if they can't see you, they think you can't see them, right? So I remember with my oldest daughter, the first time we played hide and go seek uh, with Miriam, and she was really, really young, and I'm trying to explain the game. I'm like, I'm gonna close my eyes, and I'm gonna count to 10, and you run and go hide, and then I'm gonna come look for you. It's based on this, it's the opposite of parenting, right? Like, we're looking at this, I want you to learn to hide yourself. I want you to learn not to be seen. Bury those things down inside, and don't talk about them anymore, right? It's like, I want you to learn to go hide, and then I'm gonna come looking for you. And, and so I did, I, I closed my eyes, I counted to 10, and I turned around, and she's standing in the same place in the living room doing this, right? And I'm looking at Beth going, do we need to take her to a doctor? Like, I don't know what this shows or if this, and then Beth's going, no, you go with it, go pretend, which on the scale, Beth's much better at that than I am. So like, okay. And so then you have to do this thing, you've all done this, right? Where you start walking and going, where's Miriam? I don't know where Miriam, and in your head, you're like, how long do I have to do this, right? Like, how long am I supposed, where, where's Miriam? Do you want to come out? It's like, oh, there she is, right? That's more the way God's asking this question. Again, it's not like, oh my gosh, we've lost them. It's like, do you want to come out? Do you want to emerge? Or do you want to stay hidden? Why is this an invitation God gives us? Well, sometimes because the things we think we should feel ashamed of, maybe we shouldn't. But also, in responding to an invitation, that's how things that need to change in our life actually do change. That's how things actually do change. Is if we choose. It's different if Adam and Eve go, this is where I am. We ate of the fruit. And we choose to emerge versus if we sit back there and go, I don't know why, we didn't do anything. Right? It's different if they choose to emerge versus if they're caught. Because if you get caught, you just try to learn how to hide better in the future. But if you choose to emerge, there's a sense that God's going, now we can deal with this. Now we can bring and work for something different. Now is how transformation happens. Now is how new patterns develop in your life. I'm going to close just by giving you an example because I really want us this week thinking about this question of where are we? And what does this look like? Is this question applies to us. But I don't want it to stay abstract. And so one of the places that I've seen this in my life, and I've shared some of this before, but not from the particular vantage point that I want to take today, uh, is in marriage, is in my marriage. Because marriage, from, uh, from the biblical perspective, is like really clear. 
Like, well, there's so many parts of faith that we can be sitting there going like, I don't know, what does this mean? And what does God want? Marriage is like really clear, okay? And what it is, is that you're supposed to have two uh, husband and wife, equal partners who are seeking to outserve each other. That's the whole thing. As equal partners, can you outserve the other one? And if you're, I would love to talk to you about that. It's, 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 it's not one of those things like, I don't know, every marriage is different. It's like, no, we are called to outserve each other. It just, it's what it is. I've, I've officiated weddings, I've kind of done the whole, like, I know. But Beth and I are coming up this December on our 20th anniversary, and we have realized that there are certain like seasons in marriage. And one of the things that we had early on in our marriage, and we were probably the only ones who struggled with this, is kind of a pattern of like rinse and repeat in our marriage when it came to conflict. We essentially had the same fight 34 different times, okay? Just on different days. And, and it was the same stuff we kept going back to. And it was over and over and over again. And what would happen is on my end, and we've all had, we all have to work on, but, uh, and I heard a comedian say this recently. Uh, he said, one of the things I've learned about marriage is like, we're always working on me. Uh, and he said, my wife is like a finished product and I am like one of those buildings with scaffolding around it for like nine years and workers are just kind of constantly going in or out of it. And, and, and like in my life, that is a true and accurate statement. Like that, I have no problem with that. It's how it works. And so one of the patterns that kept coming up over and over again is that, um, Beth wouldn't feel served by me. And while I'm not taking everything on myself, it was one of those things that when we would talk about it, I'm like, you're right. I really haven't been. And then what I would do is when it was pointed out, what I would say is like, all right, I see that. I hear that. I understand that. I want to engage that. I want to be different. And so from today, I mean it this time. Now I'm going to be different with it right? And for like a little while it would work. It's like a New Year's resolution. This year, I'm really going to work out, and I'm going to eat healthier, and I really mean it. And then by March, you can't even remember what your resolution was. But for that like period of time, after you really mean it, for like a certain amount, it's like things were better, right? And I was making the bed every morning, and I was helping out with meals, and there's all this kind of stuff. And then you'd feel good, and you kind of hit that traction, and things were going better. And because they were going better, you didn't have to focus on it as much. And then things would start not going as well. And then we'd have the same thing again. And it's like, I don't feel like you're serving, like, you're right. And I meant it. I know I said it last time, but this time I really, 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 really mean it. I'm going to be different now. Okay. Boom. Rinse and repeat over and over and over again. One day after we had had a, um, a conversation around uh, some of this stuff again, I went for a walk with my dog. And that's how I, as you can tell, I like to move. I don't like to sit still. And so when I pray, I often walk. I move around. I was taking my dog on a walk, and I was thinking about this. And it's like, you know, God, I keep doing this, and this time I'm, I, you know, I need you to help me because I want to be different. And so uh, this time I want to really mean it, and I want this to be a, a, a new direction. And I literally felt like I had a prompting of the Spirit in that walk that, that was like, why do you think we keep having this conversation? And I was like, yeah, because... There was a little bit of me that didn't mean it before, but this time I mean it, and I'm really going to do it, and so strengthen me to do the things I want to do. And it was like this prompting again. It's like, yeah, I hear that. Why do you think we keep having this conversation? Why do you think we're on this treadmill? And I remember the moment I said out loud while I was walking, because I really just don't want to serve her. I really just don't want to. I know I'm supposed to want to. I'm well aware of that. I just really don't want to. And I could be the only one here that feels that way. I can be an amazingly self-centered person. 
unbelievable. I, I, I can take self-centeredness to like new levels. And so here's the deal. When we leave here today, I'll have preached four sermons this morning, and it's been a busy morning, and I've been up, and there's been things happening all the time. And I know what I'm supposed to do when I leave here. I am supposed to go home and seek to serve my wife and kids this afternoon, but I don't really want to. Because the Falcons are on TV, and I'm tired, and I just would kind of like to zone out and not have people talk to me for a little while. I can tell you, Bram, they're going to lose, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to come to the end, and they're going to lose. And I'm sorry, but we're in that together. But that's the truth. And the moment that I said out loud, I don't want to, what I heard, what I felt, what I sensed from God in that was not, oh, Thomas, what a disappointment you are. It was God saying, I know. I know. And I was wondering when we'd get to this point to get to have this conversation. Now what would it mean for us to walk together towards something different? And that, I wish I could say that was a one-time thing. Like 12 years ago I had that, and ever since then I've just been fine. But what it is for me is like a daily thing of needing to know. It's like my default is that I will want things the way that I want them. And that the, where it begins is not behavior modification. That is hiding. But it begins with looking at God saying, I'm going to struggle today because I want my life the way I want it. And God saying, I know, and I've actually got something better than that, if you'll just trust me and we move forward together. How are you hiding? Where are you? What I was hiding from in that was just the ability to admit my own self-centeredness. Where are you? Because the moment we start asking and answering that question to God, the moment we hold out in front of God and say, here I am, the moment we emerge is the moment that God can say, now we can do something different. It's the right question in place for us. To begin. It begins with naming it, of hearing the Lord ask us today, where are you? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would speak to us, lead us, and guide us as we engage these questions. And may your spirit lead us forward as we seek the answers. Help us to grow as a result of this. Help us to learn together. Help us to see you in new ways. And may it begin with us choosing to admit who we are and how we live and seeing what it is you might want to do with that. Help us this week to see these patterns in our life. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.